Understood is a resource I have recommended for many years to parents looking for support with learning and thinking differences such as ADHD, dyslexia, and more. And I'm subsequently excited to tell you about their podcast, Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. They cover topics such as how to tell if your child needs an IEP, common myths about special education, and the difference between IEPs and 504 plans. I love how Understood Explains breaks down the overwhelm by unpacking an important topic each season and then drilling down further into key basics in each episode. Most episodes are between 10 to 15 minutes, and episodes are available in both English and Spanish. So fantastic, right? To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Edit Your Life podcast. I'm Christine Coe. And I'm Asha Dornfest, and we're here to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. We share practical ways to declutter your home schedule and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. And we believe that baby steps are the key to getting there. Good morning, Asha. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm, um, I am just sitting quietly, sipping my coffee, In the looking at black. the... Yeah, I was going to say looking at the darkness out of my out of my window. Uh fall in Portland. This is this is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, this is what it is. Um yes. Well, let's dive into our episode today. We have a we have a very interesting and significant one. Um I'll just start by saying you and I have been on the internet for so long that Sometimes it's hard to remember that not everybody knows our backstories, especially around the pivots we've made. And so we thought it would be a good time to have a conversation about this for a couple of reasons. And the first is, um, and this was your suggestion, actually, but I'll bring it up, that I had an essay published at Boston Globe magazine a little while ago that stirred up quite a lot of conversation. It was about career changes and my perspective that any time you have spent in a previous career is not a waste of time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think this is this is a hard one, especially if you've invested in a lot of training. You know, I was an academic in a previous life. And literally one of the first questions people ask me is, do you regret wasting all that time in academia? So I think that the piece really resonated for people because they felt very heard and seen and validated in their choices, which of course mm-hmm. they don't need from me. But mm-hmm. I was grateful to be a conduit for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I I really love that essay. And it's not as if I don't know your story. I mean, you and I have talked about your story just personally, but also like I have seen how you have told the story of your own career pivots over the years. And it's always been really meaningful to me. But that essay put it in a way that that I thought about it differently. And I think that notion of you know, quote unquote, wasting time or going down a path that you ultimately decide, you know, isn't the way that you want to go or whatever is um, it's something that's common to so many of us, especially, you know, especially right now. I feel like so many of us are thinking about our lives differently, including the role that work plays for us, because, I mean, you know, the world has changed around us in many ways. And um, it is 
lots of people are coming to a place where they're deciding that it's time for a change and, and that it's not only possible, but that it's actually like sort of a crucial realignment. And I um because of that, I feel like your essay, it, it just it put that whole notion of change in a whole new light. Absolutely. I think um, I'm just reminded as you're talking about the context of change, especially right now, amidst everything that's been happening in the world, is that I received the most amazing message um, maybe a week or so after that piece went live from somebody. And she said, um, Sherrod, I, I believe she had been an educator and was laid off because the school actually closed in the wake of COVID. And she said, you know, your piece really stuck with me. And even though it was a total change in fields, she applied for a job. Um, I think it might have been through the library system or something, which, of course, I'm like, true hero, but mm. through the library system. And she was moving on to the interview round. And she was like, thanks for giving me the courage to 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 do that. I'm not sure I would have mm-hmm. done that. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, just so cool. It's It's mm-hmm. just a great example of how our conversations and our sharing really can help one another. So Mm -hmm. I love that. I love Mm -hmm. that. Well, and the word courage is important because it's, it's sort of different than bravery. You know what I mean? Like courage is, it it just sort of feels like there are times when, you know, there's something internal that's speaking to you that, that just gets you to the point where you're willing to take that next step. Whereas for some reason or another at other points in your life, that next step didn't feel possible. And it's really only that tiny step that you have to be willing to take. And it's, it, it's sort of a, um, it can be like sort of a magical process. Who knows what brings us to those, to those steps. But I, I do feel like telling our stories and talking to each other about it, like, like you just said, that's part of what helps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, you know? yes, of course. Um, well, there's another reason we're talking about this today, and I feel like my neighborhood is kind of sending up the dramatic signals because there are trash trucks rolling around and sirens going <laughs> off, like literally, as I'm about to say this. But we have some pretty big news to share, and it occurs to me yeah. that this is happening on episode 250. I don't know. It feels I, I, I'm probably creating significance, but here we are. And so, Asha, I'm going to let you take it from here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here we are talking about pivots and I do indeed have a big pivot of my own. Um, I have decided that I am going to take a sabbatical of sorts to discern my own next steps at like, you know, in work, in life as a writer. And as part of that, I've made the big decision that our final episode of 2021 is going to be my last as co-host of Edit Your Life. I I Uh, feel like, I don't know, we might need Brian to insert a sound or something here. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's it is a big a, deal. It's a big deal. It's a, it's a really, really big deal. And I, I actually say that with a feeling of like, I am very, um, what's the word? Boy, I have quite the jumble of feelings right now. So part of it is I feel this, it, it feels like an honor to share it with listeners. You know, it feels like I've come to this place and I am there is some joy in sharing with you listeners that, um, you know, this arc that I have been on with Christine, you know, has sort of like reached a new point. And of course, I also I mean, this is a. Oh, you know, I love doing this podcast with you. This has not been an easy decision at all. So um, I, I 
I absolutely love doing this podcast for so many reasons. Um, part of what, part of it has to do with telling of stories like, you know, Christine was saying earlier about, you know, sort of what you're doing with many of your essays. But the biggest reason is is a personal one. It's that I get to talk to you every week, Christine. <laughs> I yeah, mean, that is yeah. that has that has been just a consistent point of joy for me. And not just, you know, it's fun. I get to talk to my friend, but I often I feel like I often walk into my day after our recording sessions with this new feeling of discovery or this expanded sense of, you know, the world. And um, I think I think I might get just as much out of this as anybody listening. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. I, I mean, I've certainly had plenty of recordings just because of the sort of dumpster fire nature, <laughs> nature of my life where I walk in and I'm kind of you know, maybe agitated, not the most centered. And then I come out feeling very happy. Um, Even if we're talking about something hard, I think it's just, we talk all the time about how crucial human connection and friend connection is. And that's a little bit of the magic that we have here when we connect. And I think it's, it's always wonderful when I hear from people who say, oh, I just feel like I'm sitting with friends and Mm -hmm. I just, or I, yeah, I imagine I'm sitting with you and listening and um, it's it's really wonderful. And I think all of us need that in some way, shape or form. Well, we do. We do need that. And I and I feel like, um, you know, to to sort of, you know, we've been we've been having we've been co-hosting this podcast for, you know, I don't specifically know how long, but it's been at least five years, at least two and a half episodes, 250 episodes. <laughs> Okay. So that's a, that's a really long time. And, um, when I think about, um, you know, the scale of change in my life, but in all of our lives, um, you know, for me specifically, you know, this period right now, um, my, my kids are off to college. My dad and my mother-in-law both passed away last year. Plus, you know, the political landscape changing so dramatically. And of course, COVID. I mean, I think all of these changes, we all have similar scales of change in our lives, even if the details are different. And I think that to have um, traveled that path together through all those changes is is sort of an amazing thing. And also, I think, you know, I, I've come to a place where I realize that there I I've actually never taken a sort of a sabbatical in my life. I've never come to a place, even though I've made a number of pivots where I felt like I actually needed to clear space to really just pause and check in with myself before I move in, move on, you know, to whatever is next. And um, I feel very fortunate that I can do that, but also it's had to be sort of a mindful process for me to actually give myself permission to do that because it's, um, there is some sense that that number one, you should sort of know what's next. Like, isn't it obvious? I know for me, it sort of always has been. One thing has always led to the next thing, and that's not the case right now. And also, um, I'm setting down something that I love that I love, which is this podcast. And there there are a few other things in my life too that I'm you know sort of bringing to a to a close. Which is not to say that I'm disappearing, but. Um, this is a this is a very mindful process and it's it's very new for me. So it's definitely adventure. An adventure. I'm not sure what's going to come next. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that listeners that you have a lot of questions <laughs> and a lot of um 
yeah, I, questions, comments. And so I will say uh, definitively, the one thing I can say definitively, things are a bit fluid. Honestly, I haven't had a ton of time to really think through everything, but I can say with certainty that the show will go on. <laughs> mm-hmm. It will go on after the new year uh, with a mix of um, solo episodes by me and guest interviews. We'll take the classic, I think it's a three week winter break, which is what we've always done. Um, and then I'll see you on the flip side of 2000, you know, when it's 2022 um, by myself, I think, I guess on that mm-hmm. first episode. Um, but I do want to let you know, uh, we do want to hear your feedback. I have a Google form that I'm going to share in the show notes and we'll share it on social um, so we can collect your questions. I would love to hear what you'd like to say to Asha um, as we prepare for our final episode coming down the pike. Uh, we have a few more in the bank before the end of the year that you'll get to hear her voice on. So uh, send us your feedback. We would love to hear from you. Um mm. We yeah. would love to hear from you. Yeah. yeah. We would love to hear from you. And so would I. And um, I, Christine, that was actually a, a, like a wonderful thing to think of just well, creating give, that channel. Honestly, let's give credit where credit is due. This was my husband, Jonathan Baxter's suggestion. <laughs> so that guy's so smart. So anyway, yes, attribute the Google street to him. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to talk about pivots. We're going to have a lot to talk about here and we'll do that after a quick break. Are you, like pretty much every parent of younger kids I know, looking for a smart entertainment option for your kids? Designed for kids ages six and up, Mysteries About True Histories, also known as Math, How Smart Is That?, is a weekly podcast full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and humor. And while kids will enjoy the stories anchored around characters like troublesome trolls, pirate queens, and mysterious aunts, adults can benefit too. I admittedly delighted in learning a thing or two about Pythagoras and triangles in one episode. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code-breaking, pattern-solving, and more, all weaving humor in with education to make learning fun. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a great length for transition times during the day or a bedtime treat. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. 
Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Okay, friends, we're back. We hope you've recovered from that epic news, and we are going to talk about career pivots. And Asha, I thought it would be interesting to start with pre-internet. Like, what was happening (laughs) pre-internet? That didn't used to feel like it was so long ago. And now it feels like, you know, literally like reaching back into the annals of my mind. I mean, it's crazy to think about pre-internet. Yeah, it really is. Um, So let me, I'll I'll get started because before the internet, (laughs) and actually just as a signal of my age, I will say that email first came around when I was in college. I remember, you know, sometimes printing out my emails on a dot matrix printer. But anyway, (laughs) um, I was an academic before the, before I started working on the internet. I think a lot of people know that. Um, but I was, I had discovered, I was not a good student in high school. I was like a straight C and D student. I know people like cannot believe that, but except for music where I got A's, (laughs) I just, I think the, I later learned in life that the kind of stress and trauma that I was dealing with in childhood was just not particularly conducive to learning. So it wasn't until I arrived at college, I went to Wheaton College, and I arrived there and just had the freedom of mind and spirit to really discover like how to learn and that I loved learning. And uh, I had been a musician for a long time. I had played violin for years, and I discovered this intersection between music and psychology, and that's where I started to explore that. And so that took me from you know, undergrad, uh, to my master's at Brandeis. And the big irony at Brandeis was that that was when I learned how to code websites using HTML. That was the only way to do it. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling very burnt out as I was finishing my master's, I was working full-time and pursuing a master's part-time. So I was pretty burnt out. And I said, "Hmm, maybe I'll change careers. Like, I don't know that it seems like there's something to this internet. (laughs) Like I actually said that. And then I had applied to PhD programs, but as soon as those acceptances started coming in, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to be an academic. You know, I just still had not trusted my inner compass yet. And in the face of like wanting to be accepted and uh, that just was too strong a pull. So anyway, I ended up going on to finish a PhD. My last stop on the academic train was um, a very fancy sounding postdoc at Mass General Hospital, MIT, and Harvard Medical School here in Boston. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so it was a long, uh, long road in academia. I mean, all told, maybe a decade, but um, mm-hmm. starting in undergrad, but I was in it. Like I was ready to become a professor. That was my goal it was to go back and teach alongside my mentors at Wheaton. So anyway. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You know, and I, I think what this, well, you know, wh- especially in academia, especially, you know, coming from, you know, sort of at that, when I think about myself at that age, it's just like, we're on the train. I mean, that's like our job is to get on the train, the career train. And for some of us, it's academic. And um, sometimes it takes a really, really, really long time to hear that, you know, you talk about your inner compass. Usually we have to be forced there, (laughs) you know, by circumstances Mm -hmm. to sort of say, oh, actually, I need to make a change. Anyway, we will return to that theme, but that is a, um, it's such a fascinating start, you know, and it's, it's interesting. My, my sort of pre-internet start to, you know, it totally intersects with my academic life because um, 
you know, the internet started when I was in college too, or, you know, email and all that kind of stuff. I lived and worked in Berkeley, California at the time, because I went to UC Berkeley for college and I uh, was a sociology major. This is my bachelor's degree. And I thought I was going to go into human resources. That was what I was sort of thinking as my career path, because to me at that time, sort of the idealistic me was like, okay, human resources to me seems like the intersection of sociology and, you know, sort of people and what people do with the work world. I had been fascinated by sort of work-life balance, even at that stage before I had ever even had a major job. Mm -hmm. And so that was the direction I thought I was going to go. Um, I ended up having another job right around that time, which is one of the best jobs I ever had, actually. And that was volunteer coordinator at the Berkeley YWCA. So I help college students find volunteer placements in the community. So I realized that, um, you know, that that mentor role, that place of um, sort of standing where people are trying to make changes in their life, um, that felt really good to me. But also, like, the Internet started. And um, anyway, that was more sort of a, a fact of life, not a, a I need to change careers. But that's sort of the context of what I was doing. So my career pivot came a little bit later. I just I I, I didn't know the piece about the Berkeley YWCA. And I'm mm. kind of like, oh, my gosh, that's like the perfect job. <laughs> it was <laughs> it, it, it so was perfect. It was the perfect job. And what's interesting was I did that job only a few years out of college myself. So I wasn't that much older than many of the students I was meeting with. And uh, and that was only one aspect of the job. There were other roles that that um, that, you know, like other responsibilities that that role, you know, encompassed. And um, but it really was one of the greatest jobs. And I'll tell you one little one little piece of trivia. Um, one thing that happened while I was the um, volunteer director was that um, there were two. Um, there were two women who were, uh, they liked to walk around nude through the, through the Berkeley campus, these two women, and they were sort of famous because they would walk around. There were lots of famous sort of characters in Berkeley at the time. And they liked, they were really two nice women. I believe they were a couple and they liked to walk around town nude, except for wearing tie dye socks. And one That's day really they were specific. sitting. Okay. They were <laughs> they were sitting on the 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 steps of the Berkeley YWCA and I remember it was my job to go out and have a really pleasant conversation with these two women and say, "You know what? I think uh like maybe there's another place that you can sit even though just because folks I think are embarrassed about coming in, but it's really nice to see you and literally they were around town all the time and that was just one of my memories from that job. Wow. It's um <laughs> I have an image in my mind. I just <laughs> It's wow. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. It was really interesting. And a bit, you know, the fact is I, I'm sort of joking about that moment, but the fact is that like, those were the, it was such an, it, it was such an intersection, that spot. Like I met so many different kinds of people. That's a colorful story. But the fact is that there were so many different kinds of people who came in for so many different reasons. And in some ways I could see the connection from that, the delight that I had in that job to you know, what I'm thinking might be next for me now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we'll see. the arc, you know, sometimes the arc is long and takes time. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned 
pivoting. Um, and you know, that's part of what we're talking about today. And so I just thought it would be interesting to talk about that specific pivot. And, you know, I, I will say that I always point out how fancy sounding my postdoc was because it was fancy sounding and utterly miserable. <laughs> so mm. I, I just think it's really important to, because they're, well, and I've seen it as Laurel and her peers are all applying to college, you know, there's so much focus on the place and where it is and, um, or there seems to be anyway for a lot of people. And so I guess I'm just saying that to be really direct about the fact that even the fancy places, they're just places. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I think that for me, as I mentioned earlier, I was not a good student growing up. I really struggled so hard and I hung out with all my friends were like, the smart like book award kids. So uh, it was always just really, there was a lot of dissonance in that. So I think actually part of my arc with academia needed to be getting to that top fancy place. Like, I don't think there's a fancier place than, you know, being in the Harvard MIT system in Boston, right? As Mm -hmm. an academic. Mm -hmm. And I think I needed to get there to just be like, oh, these are just people, you know? Yes, they're very intelligent people, but they're just people. This is just a place. And I'm utterly miserable here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, I had been prepared for everybody in academia talks about how postdoc postdocs are especially hard because, you know, when you're an under when you're a graduate student and you're a PhD student, you're pushing your own research. It's very exciting. And when you go to become a postdoc, you're really more under whoever's your advisor, you're really under their thumb and pushing their agenda. Um so that work was hard. I had to do things like learn how to code at MIT. I mean, there were just a lot of like hard things, but I just also realized that I loved the idea of being an academic. I was a very good scientist, but I just didn't love it the way that I knew I needed to in order to slog it out as a junior faculty, especially if I was going to try to fight to stay in Boston near my family. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think that was that was part of it. And also at that time, notably, um, I became a new mom, <laughs> obviously a huge game changer for people. Um, and my dad became ill and ended up um, passing away. And so it was just a real window of reflection for me where I thought, I love working. I know I'm somebody who needs to work. But if I'm going to be away from people I care about, then I actually have to like what I'm doing or love what I'm doing or mm-hmm. at least feel like charged up energetically by it. And that mm-hmm. wasn't academia. So um, I had started a blog, Boston Mamas. This was 2016, I believe. And um, 2006. Oh, right. Not to. Yes. 2006. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> like 15 years ago, not five years ago. Mm-hmm. And thank you. Um, and I had just started it because people, I had become a mom and my friends would be like, oh, where are you getting things? Because they knew I researched things sort of obsessively. And I remember saying to my tech friend, Andrew, oh, I wish I had like just like a place on the internet, like place where I could easily share this stuff and people could access it. And he was like, you need a blog. I didn't even know what one was at the time. Very few people did know what one I know what a blog was at the time. Yeah, and so and that was wasn't two thousand six wasn't among the first blogs, but that was there was definitely a wave that happened then, as we mm-hmm. later learned. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, so I started it and it took off, and so by the time I got to my postdoc, it wasn't like 
making tons of money or anything. Um, but I knew that I had to leave academia. I was very unhappy in my postdoc, like hair falling out from stress, unhappy. And, Mm. and it was just time for a change. And I was fortunate that, you know, John was like, jump, (laughs) you clearly need Mm -hmm. to jump, go. We didn't know what was next, but I, that's when I jumped. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. You know, and it's, I think the thing to point out in this part of your story is that um, we don't generally approach career pivots just because everything's going smoothly and perfectly in life. It's often a time when, you know, there is turmoil in life, whether that's internal or just the conditions of life outside our careers Mm -hmm. are creating friction. And I think, I think it's so important to just say that out loud. I mean, it's obvious, you know, it's not like anyone is, you know, keeping that a secret, but I think sometimes when, when other people look at, you know, When when we let's put it this way, when we look back on our career arc or when we tell the stories, it seems like a pretty smooth process. But as you're going through it, it's not smooth at all. You know, these are incredibly difficult positions. And it's interesting. You said, like, you sort of needed to get to the top to to realize, hey, this is just like this isn't going to be. I say top with quotes around it, by the way, you know, you needed to get to a high place. And I think for some people, it's just the opposite. They need to go to a low place, you know? So sometimes it's at these, you know, very extreme sort of positions on the arc that we make these decisions to make a change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, sorry, quickly, just quickly, one last thing I want to say about that was that in academia too, like I had a lot of just weight and pressure on me because, you know, you you get sort of uh, positioned as like your advisor, your PhD advisor's legacy. So I just felt like all these people were going to be disappointed in me. Mm. Um, also my undergraduate mentors, but I will say my undergraduate mentors were incredibly supportive. And my mom notably said, you know, my father had just died. And she said, I, I was worried what she would say when I told her I was leaving. And she actually said, I just want you to be happy. This, mm. this is not something that like, you know, traditional Korean parents would say, like in mm-hmm. the face of leaving, you know, being like a fancy academic person. So it was really that was like a very meaningful moment, too. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And and we all know that, you know, ultimately we are accountable to our own insides. You know, we have to try to as best we can, given the situation, you know, align ourselves with what we really need to do in life. But it it's so hard because there's so much. I can only imagine how many people were like, but you have a fancy postdoc, but Harvard, MIT, but, 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 you know, and there's a lot of uh, cultural pressure around staying exactly in the spot that you are. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and as a woman and a woman of color, a blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. So anyway, yes. there was a lot, but yes. Asha, let's, let's hear about your pivot. All right. All right. Well, you know, in some ways my pivot was sort of a two-part pivot because, you know, here I was at the... Berkeley YWCA doing a job that I loved. And actually, uh, you know, I did not have a a career path mapped out, but I certainly loved what I was doing and could imagine myself going in, continuing to go in that direction. So the thing that, you know, the interesting thing that was sort of the catalyst for a change at that point was um, I got married and my husband and I had um, sort of a long story. So I will foreshorten this part of the story. We made the decision that we were going to leave California and move elsewhere. We were going to move out of state and uh, because we wanted to just try life elsewhere. And, you know, in between that period of time, we 
both quit our jobs and thought we would travel a little bit. And so we made plans to go to India and South Africa and Europe. Pretty cool. (laughs) And we did that. And we did that. But before we actually ended up leaving on our trip, our out-of-state moving plans changed. And the place that we were planning on going for one reason or another, it wasn't going to work out. And we realized, okay, so actually we're going to end up coming back to California instead of moving out of state after our trip. Okay, fine. So we went on our trip. We came back. And this was, you know, a number of months. But we came back to California without any jobs. And so it was sort of like, oh, so we sort of, you know, had put everything in storage, quit our jobs, the whole thing long before children. And we came back with a clean slate that we had created, not expecting that we would need to sort of in some ways pick up the threads of our life again and, you know, re sort of reboot in the same place. So um, so that was sort of the um, precipitating event. And um, this was when the Internet had started. <laughs> and uh, so the Internet. <laughs> yes, the Internet. So but this was before blogs. So this was still like in the mid 90s. And um, I had always loved writing. And my husband, being the visionary that he is, and also like a techie guy, um, said, oh, man, this web thing, this is really a big deal. Like people are going to want not only are people going to want to create websites Companies are going to want to create websites and people are going to want to teach themselves HTML to be able to do this. And I thought to myself, what? Listen, Real and I, we are so similar. We are seers. (laughs) (laughs) We saw the Internet coming. (laughs) Totally, totally. And we actually we my husband and I started a web design company um, in the mid 90s. And uh, like web design is such I totally put that in quote marks because at the time, if you recall, websites basically were gray screens with text on them. Maybe some of the text was flashing. Maybe there was a there might have been a table. line or Sometimes two. Sometimes there was a table. <laughs> no, I think it, there weren't tables yet. <laughs> anyway, it was really long time ago. But we started this company. We were the second web design company listed on Yahoo. This was before Google. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. I didn't no, know that. So old school. Yes. Yeah, super, super old school. And so anyway, we were we started creating websites. And from there, I ended up proposing a book like literally I wrote a book proposal about how to write, how to create a website by yourself, how to learn HTML, because believe me, I am not a coder. And if I could learn HTML, anyone could learn HTML. And at the time, that was true because it was very simple. So I kind of out of nowhere, I went to literally we lived near a Barnes and Noble bookstore in Berkeley. And I went there and I purchased a book called How to Write a Book Proposal. And I wrote a book proposal, sent it out to several publishers and got picked up. And that was my that was my first foray into professional writing was I wrote a book about how to create web pages using this janky plugin for Microsoft Word. That was my first book. So that was my first. It's a that very my, specific book. <laughs> exactly. With but the plug-in from there, part. I had, so my very, I didn't know this at the time, but my editor, Brenda Keenan, turned out to be one of my great mentors. And she ended up moving on from the publisher that she was at. She moved to the publisher that was publishing Dummies books. Remember Dummies books? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. whatever, whatever for Dummies. 
ended up moving to that publisher and I ended up writing Dummies books, um, which sold really well. So I wrote Mm -hmm. many, many, many books about HTML um, before the world of blogging. And, you know, it's funny. I at this point, that's sort of part two of my career pivot, because like you, you know, when I had kids that completely changed the sort of trajectory of my life, not only because of my time and my availability, but because the experience was not what I expected. I really expected that I would just go into a career and I would keep working and, you know, maybe push pause for a week or two to have a kid. And then, you know what I mean? Like, how do we know, you know, none of us knows what it's going to be like, but um, having, having kids was just a, a hugely different experience than I expected. And for me, um, that was, that was the thing that got me into blogging was this notion first of writing my story and sharing it and sort of reaching out to people saying, Hey, what's going on for you? Is there anything? Let's talk about this. And from there that led to my launching my blog parent hacks, which was all about the little things that we discover along the way as parents, like the little tiny shortcuts, the little hacks. Now we can talk about hacks and understand what that term means. But at the time it was just um, something new and like your Boston Mama's site, it took off. It took off. And I started it right around the same time you did. That's how you and I met, actually. Yeah. yeah. I, I think That's you were a little earlier, like 2004 or five. Something, something I was like 2005. That, right? Yeah. And it was a really magical time on the Internet. It was an amazing time where people there were there was no social media. This was the first time that um, not the first time there had been, you know, there had been other sorts of community gatherings on the Internet before blogs. But. For whatever reason, for me and for you, it was just this magic time where you could basically create an Internet space, invite people to it, and people would come and talk to you and you could talk to them. And mm-hmm. um, amazing relationships were the result of that. Amazing conversations. And starting Parent Hacks in 2005 literally led to the next 10 years of my career. So everything, yep. including meeting you writing minimalist parenting together, mm-hmm. launching this podcast, among other things, and finally writing the Parent Hacks book, which I did in 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Crazy, mm-hmm. crazy, mm-hmm. crazy. All right. Well, we are going to talk more about life right now. We just, you know, blew through, I don't know, a decade or so. <laughs> um, and we'll do that after a quick break. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) 
Well, you're aiming more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, friends, we're back and we're talking about career pivots and we're taking sort of this... uh, Amazing flight through our careers and sort of connecting the dots in, in this conversational way. And it's super illuminating, honestly. I, I feel like I haven't done this in a long time. And um, wow, like it's been a long time and we've now been on the Internet for quite a while. And it's amazing how much has changed, isn't it? Yeah. So we don't have yeah. to use I use HTML only like once a week in an yeah. emergency situation. <laughs> <laughs> True. So, you know, here we sort of talked in in very sort of quick and in sweeping terms about our turn toward the Internet. But I think, you know, the the main thing about um, that story is that conditions in our lives and opportunities in the world, you know, i.e. the, you know, creation of the Web and blogs, you know, those things um, sort of happened at the same time and created these moments to jump. and. Um, again, they sound really clear in retrospect as we talk about it and like these big, brave moves, but in some ways they were just small steps and in some ways they were big moves, but really motivated by something that we had to do. And so anyway, let's just sort of bring us to the, to the present and what life, you know, look, looks like now. Um, because I know for me, you know, I just talked at the beginning of this episode that I am poised to make a new pivot and, Unlike last time where it was like I was doing one thing and then I was doing another thing. Um, for me, this time, the pivot is I- I'm I'm creating a little more space for it. So what life looks like now for me um, in my career is that I have written a number of books. I have done a number of, um, you know, writerly things. In the end, I became a writer and um I am married to a person who has had his own, um, you know, career with an income. So that has been given me a lot of flexibility to take some creative risks in mine. But now that my kids um, live elsewhere and, you know, my family structure has changed so much. Um, and, you know, I we live in this completely, for me, transformed landscape, um, transformed by politics and covid I have come to a place sort of gradually where I sense there is a different way for me to tell stories that are important and a different way for me to um, sort of show up in the world um, in service. And I use that word in service when I'm talking about my career. Um it sounds a little lofty and I don't actually mean for it to sound like that, but I just feel like I have reached a point where there has been so much change in my life that a realignment is necessary in how I spend my time and where I spend my time. And I think where is actually an important piece of this since so much since basically, you know, 
you and I have ridden this unbelievable sort of arc. I feel like I'm using the word arc a lot because that seems to be showing up for me a lot. But this arc of the Internet where, you know, it started in one place and then blogs and then social media, like we've really been a part of all of those changes. And now I feel very called to a quieter place and a more private place to do this next part of my career. Not an invisible place, not a, you know, I'm off the Internet or anything, but somehow the where of my career is um, pointing in a in a quieter, smaller direction. Um, and I am also really called to work with um, work with other people in person in some capacity, most likely young adults. I just feel it. And um, but the specifics aren't clear. So I think that's the big difference for me in terms of this pivot. Um, this it, It's not clear to me what the next step is. And I think the other part of that is that I have a, a few choices about what the next steps can be. So um, so part of this process for me is going back to school. Um, I'm actually <laughs> I'm actually a Portland State University student right now, and I'm attending some classes and I am very much like opening up the channels and making this space to sort of receive the intuitive signals I need uh, to to sort of light up which next steps I need to take. And I think one thing that I do feel that is consistent with all the other pivots that I've made is that when I am facing in the right direction, some sort of zing goes off. It's not like a, I know this is the right thing kind of zing, but it's almost like something like it's slightly lighter up ahead one direction than the other direction. And I have come to trust that. So so I'm I'm uh, I'm taking my own baby steps into this next pivot. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what it's all about, right? I mm-hmm. mean, this has been obviously such a massive year of transition and and shift. So, you know, this this particular juncture and all all that you describe right there makes a lot of sense. So. It's hard to give yourself permission to do it, though. And yeah, it's really sure. it's you know, it's it's very much. You know, I also have had the, you know, what are people going to say? Who am I letting down by doing this? Is it really okay for me mm. to do this? Mm-hmm. I have had all of those internal voices and, and uh, you know, it, it's nice for me to sound, you know, so calm and serene as I, you know, just sort of deliver this, um, <laughs> you know, like next step. But it, it's um, it's been sort of torturous to get here, actually. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I get that. That's just, that's just part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, it's interesting because I I appreciate and admire the reflective um, tuning in space you're in because I definitely do not feel in that space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I am definitely feeling in the thick of uh, chaos and and everything is fine. But literally yesterday, I joked with somebody that I was so overwhelmed by just life and all the moving pieces. Um, that I, I believe I yelled at John about sweet potatoes. Like I was losing, I was just really losing my mind. So mm. I would say that, um, you know, I didn't even really say about all the things that happened since Boston Mamas when I founded that 15 years ago, but um, I started a number of businesses along the way, um, many of which are still running. So I think, you know, on a day-to-day, like, day-to-day basis, um, you know, my like Boston mom, is it still going? I'm still like doing that. Um, obviously this podcast, um, you know, 
a big part of my time uh, this year was actually quite significant because uh, the agency at which I serve as creative director uh, was acquired. And so, um, you know, that has required a lot of adjustment, um, massive culture shift, uh, just a lot. So I work with incredible clients there. Um, and yeah, that's just, it, it's just been a lot. <laughs> and, um, and I think the big thing is that I've been doing all this, um, major media writing this year, which has been mm. awesome. So, you know, I've written for the Washington post and Boston globe magazine and CNN, and I've had appearances on the BBC and NPR. It's been kind of a wild ride that, I had not really anticipated, and it's notable, we talked about this ages ago, I'm sure, but I want to tell people and underscore the fact that that pivot to doing that writing came after sort of reconciling my feelings of failure about writing another book mm -hmm. <laughs> around the Edit Your Life book, which I actually wrote during the pandemic, and then for various reasons, it went nowhere, and I decided to just let go of that. Like, clearly it wasn't the right time. It didn't feel like driving against the brakes was the right approach. And um, so I put intention behind this other path of writing and it's, it's actually been delightful and just mm -hmm. the right thing. So, yeah. And, and reached this interesting, you know, this unbelievably sort of different audience of people mm -hmm. that may or may not have you know, many of the stories you've been telling in your pieces for CNN, Boston Globe and all that probably would have shown up in one form or another in the Edit Your Life book in some way or another. Like these are things that you care about and these are things that you talk about in different ways. And when I think about the strange life those stories can have when delivered this way, mm -hmm. as opposed to with a book, to me, it to me, there there's some sort of sparkle fairy dust there because it feels like uh, it it just feels like an amazing turn. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, I think even though over the past 15 years, I, I mean, sometimes I think if people look at my collection of work and they think, oh my gosh, like this person is a little bit nuts. Like she, <laughs> she just keeps doing like thing and thing and thing. But I, I do think that all of the things that I do are really united under this umbrella of just like wanting to help people and, mm -hmm. um, you know, move the needle a little bit, make little improvements in their life, feel better and mm -hmm. feel okay about not feeling better. You know, all these things just to, just so we can feel okay as who we are as human beings. And it's interesting, this different platform that I have now, um, I just hear a lot more from people and it, it's really wonderful. I mean, I, I do get my occasional hate mail and um but that's that's okay like everybody deserves their own opinion uh but largely i think people feel that i can help articulate what's in their mind and make them feel okay and that's just the most meaningful thing to me so mm. um that's been wonderful and that's why i want to part of why i feel very committed to keeping this podcast going after 2000 after the end of this year, 2021, because I definitely feel like I have more to say and more conversations to have with people. So that's what mm -hmm. will be happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, um, I, I don't know, this is a, this is a moment actually to talk about this, this podcast and just what it's like to actually, you know, you and I speak to each other 
And then, you know, we hear from listeners and there is, I think it's a different, when I think about all the internet things that we have done, mostly writing, you know, there's something about speaking, which is just um, a particular kind of connection that has been really meaningful. And I feel like we've had this chance to interact with listeners in ways that are, have, have just been incredible. You know, it's really, really been amazing. And I think, I guess the other thing I would say is that, you know, here I am, you know, making these very mindful um, movements toward creating a space in my life to do, you know, to, to have the sabbatical. You know, we just those sorts of opportunities aren't always available to all of us, you know, and they weren't available to me for a long time. You know, it's like I was in the thick of parenting, you know, both my husband and I were doing our jobs. So there were lots and lots of things going on in life that, uh, you know, that was not really an option. So when you talk about the fact that right now is a very, let's just say, full time in your life, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot that's happening like there are those times in life and there have been those certainly those times in my life too. And I think, I think that's another important um, clarification to make that when we listen to other people's stories and they just talk about how effortlessly they sort of step off one path and onto another, like, Oh, well, you know, it, it's easy to think, well, it's easy for them. But for me, I have to keep doing what I'm doing right now. That's not an option. And that is a reality. And so I think that, um, Sometimes these opportunities come up and sometimes they don't. But, you know, the changes that each of us can make in our own day to day lives really um, like we get to decide what um, how to do that in a way that fits into the context of what we're doing, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I just I guess I guess uh, I'm not totally sure what point I'm making, but I guess I'm thinking that even in this like for you, where there isn't a lot of extra time to do anything there has been this really interesting move toward media writing that you've done. That's, you know, that in and of itself has been a move. And um, interestingly, it's just opened up all sorts of different things. So anyway, I guess it's just, uh, it's so interesting to know that we've yet again, like come to a place where, you know, we're looking around and seeing what, um, seeing what the landscape is around us. And, you know, it's just time for more baby steps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that, Asha, what is your baby step, your next edit for this episode? I think we got to wrap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Well, um, you know, my next edit is is just sort of an invitation to something that's been really meaningful for me recently, um, and that is to do some free write journaling. Uh, some people know this as morning pages. That's a um, sort of an exercise that was popularized in Julia Cameron's book, um, The Artist's Way. But basically, uh, wake up in the morning and do, you know, two or three, um, you know, handwritten pages of journaling that's just sort of stream of consciousness writing, whatever's in your mind. First thing in the morning, before you look at your phone or before you sort of get into the business of the day. I have been doing that now for the last couple of months, and I have found that it has really unknotted certain thoughts and ideas that I've had in ways that regular old journaling has never done before. So I'm going to encourage you to do some morning pages and I'm going to look, I'm going to look up and see if I can find a good uh, link on the process of doing morning morning pages to share in our show notes. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, Turn off the inner critic and just write. 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, my your next edit is actually uh, that I would just love to hear from people. So if you would like to share about a pivot you have made, we'd love to hear it. It could be on social. It could be email, whatever. Um, and it can be completely private. Like just um, I have found it so fascinating to hear from people about the changes they've made and um, the good things, the struggles, all of it. So I would just love to hear from you on that. Absolutely. I love, I, it's so interesting to hear about other people's, you know, sort of the things that caused them to make a change and where they ultimately ended up. All right, friends. Well, this has been a big conversation. And um, so we will, you know, be seeing you in social and, and via email. You'll also find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources we've mentioned, plus lots of great related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. And as ever, we'd love to hear your thoughts and questions. Chat with us on Instagram or Facebook at Edit Your Life Show or send us an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. We'd also be grateful if you would drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about us. Thanks for listening. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.